You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. Welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we're welcome back. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> stoked to be back. A little mm-hmm. bonus episode, kind of. Yeah. Thanks, Impromptu. Nick. Nick Willard. He inspired this little one. Definitely. And I'm really glad that he kind of pushed us to go forward with this because I, listening back to the first part of our Dogman series, I feel like our discussion was seriously lacking on the, on a lot of fronts. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we kind of... Um, yeah, we just sort of like uh, eased into it, I guess you would say. We we wanted to just kind of like place ourselves in the in the moment. You know what I mean? Like in to, to yeah. try to contextualize like what people were thinking they were seeing for those who believe that they had legitimate encounters and sightings. And then we had the context of, of course, the Steve Cook song, mm-hmm. the subsequent gate, hoaxed Gable film. Mm-hmm. And we mentioned Micah Grusa, but we didn't really go into detail about how he went about doing any of that. And a big part of that was we didn't have access um, at that exact moment leading up to that part one to the Monster Quest episode that we had watched from mm-hmm. way back in the day. And then it was really hard to find in Canada. We ended up doing the old proxy server thing. Yeah, we had to. And uh, uh, and finding a way to watch that, which was awesome, because obviously we love Monster Quest. We're obsessed with Monster Quest. Always we, have been. We tried really hard for you guys. Like, Andrew was literally, like, troubleshooting for, like, what, like, an hour and a half just to get us access to, to this. To get Ola to work on my computer yeah. and just, like, find, it, it, you know, it's, yeah, crazy. Ended, ended up they finding it, it on Amazon Prime, and it all worked out. It was totally fine. So we're going to get into a bunch of cool stuff like that today, still continuing along the line of the Michigan Dogman, but we wanted to just... Yeah, and we're going to clarify a few things that we did kind of maybe not clarify as much as we should have in part one. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Before we get right into it, though, I just wanted to take a sec because we kind of had, yeah, some not great news happen over the last few days, and this episode is going to be dedicated to um, my Nana, who, who passed away just a few days ago after a really long battle with Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's. And um, so, yeah, Janet Crema, she always had just a big smile no matter what, even though, you know, at times through these last few years, she couldn't really understand the show. But my mom would would play into the portal um, when she was with her. And we really, I, I, I know that she would have loved the paranormal and the idea of searching for, for the unknown and, and all that stuff. A lot of you guys have reached out on social media. We did a little Facebook post um, in honor of her uh, yesterday, and and a lot of you reached out. So thank you all so much for the love you've sent over. It means a lot to us. Um, yeah, she really was a special lady. She was an amazing painter and artist overall. She made like all my pajamas and clothes when I was a kid. We have a lot of her paintings all over our house. She was a musician. She ran church music programs, and 
one of my fondest memories is waking up of, to her just like shredding the piano at like seven o'clock in the morning when we were kids in the summertime playing like the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do just to like kind of piss us off and wake us up. But it's one of my, my fondest memories, um, me and my cousins waking up that way. So Nana, this episode and our continued search for the unknown is dedicated uh, to you. We love you. Mm-hmm. We really do love you, Nana. She's she's in peace, and she was such an inspiring lady. I uh, had the privilege of knowing her for about eight years, and that whole time, like she's really left her mark, and she did that on so many people in her long, full life. So yeah, here's to you, Nana. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And the transition, <laughs> the segue for me with that is that I know with this series we're doing right <laughs> now, she would have been like dog man <laughs> like what what the heck is that what she was heck? truly interested in strange things and um so this this is kind of a perfect uh, thing to be covering here mm-hmm. and like we alluded to off the top of the show we're kind of talking about uh this is sort of a weird quasi film friday episode right because we're analyzing the monster quest episode which really is like a mini movie they're all like 45 minute episodes right quite detailed in what they cover but yeah, contextualizing part one. So part one, we talked about the Michigan Dogman. We had some stories from locals throughout the state who had encountered this creature. We talked about the infamous Gable film uh, to go along with the song from Steve Cook, right? That kind of like launched the hysteria mm-hmm. that some would call it. And we talked about the so- uh, the context of the song and the creature descriptions in sort of, like we said, popular consciousness at that time. And we're going to get into much more detail about Micah Grusa and all these things as we go along here. Let me just say... Because before we did part one, I actually didn't listen to Steve Cook's song. Like, I just, like, knew it existed. Okay, I had and listened so, to it. Oh, you had? Yeah. It's not good. No, it's not a good song. It's terrible. It's kind of funny. <laughs> like, it's like, but it's like a really... It reminds me of, like, a 12-year-old that got, like, a, a keyboard for Christmas, and then they have, like, their one little beat that they, like, hit play, and they're just like... Yeah. It's very slow. I'm a musician now. <laughs> it's almost it's like, like the worst version of Leonard Cohen. Yeah. That you could ever oh, exactly. come up with or something. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what it sounds like. Oh, Steve, of it, you are you know not a musician. I mean? Nope. Yeah, indeed. Okay, so let's let's get into this Monster Quest episode then. And if you guys haven't watched it, if you're in the States, it's easy to find. If you're in Canada, you got you to gotta dig around a little mm-hmm. bit, do it the way we did it. But basically, I wanted to start off by saying, like almost all Monster Quest episodes, even though I love them, there always seems to be an issue with the weather. Yeah. Every single episode, like the Orang Pendek episode, the Yaren episode, uh, I, there's a bunch. You know there's what they're many. missing? They need a meteorologist on the team. They do. Mm-hmm. Pick a better time of year. Because every every time they go, there seems to be an issue. So like it was really rainy. Of course, they show the scene of getting the tr- uh, truck stuck in the mud, which is this team that's essentially a cryptozoologist that's local to Michigan, an animal tracker, and, and, and uh, an indigenous member of the Potawatomi uh, tribe, a wilderness expert, if you will. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of this diverse group compared to other episodes, you might say, where it is just say, like two Western cryptozoologists cryptozoologist uh, going in. This is like a, you know, hunter tracker, cryptozoologist, and then local, uh, you know, indigenous Indigenous, member like connected to the land. Mm -hmm. So their techniques that they were essentially using were wolf call blasts because we're looking for a dog creature here, uh, bush cams and trail cams out there. And then also having this uh, Potawatomi tribe member, I can't remember his name. I had it down here and I can't remember. Um, he went into the spaces that they were operating in and essentially- It was like, Mike something. Yeah, he made offerings, like classic kind of offerings um, mm-hmm. because they were in you know sacred territory or whatever. Yeah, they were invading the lands of others and he was very in tune with that. And the reason I wanted to make a point off the top of saying that is that there's a really heavy emphasis in this episode on kind of two things. One is 
we mentioned this in part one, the idea of it being of shapeshifters and skinwalkers or things of that nature that you have to be careful with and respect that aren't really of this world. And then the other side of it being uh, werewolves, very heavy angle on werewolves in this episode of Monster Werewolves or even the potential of it just being a giant wolf. Right. As the, is, as the pure cryptozoology, I guess, yeah. uh, an unidentified wolf species, a giant timber wolf, if you will, or mm-hmm. something like that, gray wolf. But there's lots of places, regardless of what you believe this thing might be, uh, for it to hide. And they do a good job of kind of covering that in this episode. So let's just quickly talk about landscape a little bit, because I feel like we kind of just glossed over that a little bit in part one. Mm-hmm. Locals out there in Michigan who know the area, the upper and lower peninsulas and stuff, like it's a lot of woods up there. But for those who aren't in the area, we'll just give kind of a brief rundown. One of the main mountain ranges in this area is the Huron Mountains. Uh, so could be uh, could be home to the Dogman and many other creatures. There's lots of Sasquatch sightings in this area as well, right? So this is located in the upper peninsula of the state of Michigan. This is sort of overlooking Lake Superior area. This is he- this is subject to like massive, massive amounts of snow, lake effect snow from Lake Superior. So it's like mm-hmm. rugged terrain that's tough to get in and out of, especially in wintertime because they get a lot of snow, like exceeds 200 inches across the entire range and in some higher elevations it's possibly even much more like 640 centimeters of snow these are just sort of general numbers but to give you an idea of like if something wants to hide out there and it's got thick fur it probably can stay away from human populations you know what i mean and not to mention because it is such a vast wilderness area there is lots of prey there's lots of food and they definitely in the course of their investigation this trio uncovered many many tracks that did confirm that there is ample amount of deer in the area, other um, other food sources. Tons and then, of, of course, they did confirm that there were wolves in the area as well. Yeah. So a lot of the, so the, here's sort of a, a small short list of the local fauna, wolves, moose, coyotes. Obviously, there's different fish in the lakes and streams, uh, white-tailed deer, gray and red foxes, porcupines, black bears. There's river otters and beavers. There's lots of sources for a predator and or an omnivore, much like bears are right? Yeah. It's it's one of the largest oh, yeah. like uh, old growth forests in this region. And the forest contributes too, because they're talking about the pine cones, exactly. eh? And the, the, the pine, what do they call them? Uh, Essentially like uh, pine nuts. Pine, nuts, pine yeah. seeds, which are high in protein, plant mm-hmm. protein. And what they, yeah, they had this, uh, like another sort of like tracker and wilderness expert that was saying like literally a human could sustain themselves off of this plant protein. Yeah. Which is pretty pretty interesting i mean we've talked about that with sasquatch Sasquatch, too like Mm -hmm. there's wild scallions there's protein in the pine cones there's lots of things that you can eat Mm -hmm. but the real meat of this episode is of course some of the accounts that they looked at so let's jump into some of these because they're pretty freaky they were yeah and i liked how they did a good job of like spacing them out throughout the episode so you'd get like you know an eyewitness and and they're really good about actually getting the people the actual people that experience these things yes and in a lot of these accounts smell is a really prominent aspect of of what is going on it's like it's just like garbage it's like a really like it's like a rotten carcass yeah exactly very similar to skunk ape like you know when you get Mm -hmm. those reports things like that of course like well for me it's like the only thing that would explain that is your diet 
and yeah. potentially, well, obviously the environment if you're hiding or I don't even know. Whatever. Well, yeah, because of course skunk apes are surrounded by rotting material, allegedly, right? Because they're existing in, the in places of, of decay. Mm-hmm. Whereas the the theory for like, you know, like, oh, I, I smelt the breath of a dragon or whatever is like, well, bears, cougars, these types of animals, they're predators. They don't exactly have nice smelling breath because they are eating things. <laughs> There's no dentine out there. Right. So it does make, yeah, exactly. So it does make <laughs> sense that that, but that doesn't match up with what people are seeing. Though. No. And this is the main the meat of the episode here. This first one they started off with in the Monster Quest episode was put forth by a guy named Adam Davis, not Adam Davies. <laughs> I accidentally typed that in and I was like, <laughs> and then Amber corrected me and I was like, oh, that would have been so funny if I would have read it out that way because those of you who watch Monster Quest, you'd be familiar with mm-hmm. Adam Davies from the Yaren Orang Pendek and a few other episodes. Yeah. That's an inside joke, I guess. You guys can laugh about that on your own. Different guy. (laughs) All right. And so it was him and his wife. They were actually at home. So they had a large uh, farmhouse in, you know, kind of like a rural area of... uh, of Northern Michigan. Michigan. Sorry. I was like, (laughs) where are we again? (laughs) Anyways. um, Yeah. So they were actually... This this episode, uh, this section of this episode starts off with this local sort of anecdote about how children were told not to go following the cries of these creatures, how it was predominant in the folklore and in the consciousness of these people. Yeah. However, uh, in this particular encounter, Davis and his wife were at home one evening when they heard a strange cry. And he kind of explained it as more like a hybrid between a wolf and a human scream. Yeah. Very similar to that other story we read out in part one of the Dogman series where they were in that rural situation in a mobile home. Exactly. And they just heard this like blood curdling, wreck your eardrums kind of a howl. We talked about the idea of the uncanny and hearing something like that and not really knowing because half of it you're hearing like a, yeah, like almost a desperate cry. Mm -hmm. But the other half of it just isn't human at all. No, exactly. This encounter gets a little bit juicier though. So Davis, after hearing this with his wife, they both stopped dead in their tracks, right? And he decided to step outside just to get a sense of what could have possibly made this sound. When he stepped outside... He described it as as soon as he locked eyes with this creature, it was massive, right? It's like a seven foot tall plus dog like headed creature standing on two legs Mm -hmm. in the corn. As soon as he locked eyes with it, he said he, oh, how did he phrase it? He said that he had lost the will to move. Yeah, like lost the, he, he was on his way outside and that wasn't happening anymore. No, he was going to and then he just stopped dead. And so he said he was absolutely terrified, frozen. The cornfield was large and dark, and this creature essentially just kind of looked at him for a moment before taking off into the corn. Right. And he could hear it the entire time, and he could smell it, too. That was a big part of his experience. And there wasn't just one. He said he could hear at least two distinct rustlings in the corn. Mm -hmm. Massive creatures. He said he's heard all sorts of things rummaging through there before, and this was like nothing he had ever heard. And and the speed at which that they, that what these two creatures were traveling at, like it wasn't a lumbering bear or anything. Like it was clearly bipedal and running Mm -hmm. through the the nine foot tall corn at this time of its growth or whatever, right? And all he was really left with was the smell. Exactly. dead, decaying animal smell. And that leaves us with this question that we touched on in part one. And they mention skinwalkers and things like that, like we said in this episode of Monster Quest. And that reminds me of the story of the Utah Ranch. And there's many other cases like that, too, where there, people are left with this smell. Uh, and, it, and the question is, okay, well, 
if that's the case, is it left behind from something that this creature just killed? Like we talked about with the bears and cougars and those types of things. Or is this left behind because is it, not, it isn't of this earth. It is, is yeah, dead. Is or, it residual of yeah. something or of the, of the shifting onto our plane, right? Like right. we get that sort of same idea when people talk about ghosts and the afterlife and that sulfuric smell that's that can exactly kind of follow what I was spirits. Thinking. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's very similar with skunk ape, which we've already mentioned too, where it's like, if you want to take that whole like more spiritual or interdimensional angle, mm-hmm. that could maybe be a factor of that. It's almost like when you burn rubber, <laughs> when you start up the car too fast, yeah. you know what I mean? Something yeah, like no, that. For sure. A reaction. The other interesting about this account, obviously too, is the fact that there are multiples of this creature. And when, when we're dealing with massive bipedal creatures, it is rare to have doubles and triples and like multiples, but with dog dog men that is the case a lot of the time and actually we were watching uh, sierra sasquatch monster quest because we were just cruising through them and jeff mm-hmm. meldrum on there made the comment about how it's like you tracks are usually found in singular sets you're not usually finding yeah. sasqu- sasquatch tracks in multiples but with the sierra example they had a family exactly mm-hmm. that somebody was tracking and similar I, to albert ostman yeah, exactly mm-hmm. so i mean th- that that is really interesting to me because it's like no matter what uh theory you subscribe to if it's interdimensional, if it's uh, something to do with indigenous, uh, like, you know, skinwalker or whatever, the fact that there's multiples to me is kind of strange. They're both either interested in Davis and what's going on here and watching him, or it's just pure coincidence, but they're, they're, they're interacting, they're doing something together. There's another world here that obviously we don't understand. It's mm-hmm. not just one singular creature watching. That's what's so fascinating to me. Exactly. What do they want? What are they doing? That's why we keep going back and forth being dogman and dogman. <laughs> well, yeah. And uh, yeah, totally. There is another one though, 1979, if we wanted to jump back, they covered yep. this guy named Dan Shimalinsky, which is a hard name to pronounce, but I spelled it out phonetically. So I hope we, we, we got that there. Do you want I to like take it. this one? Yeah. Well, it was actually his niece that told the story. He wasn't actually featured in the episode. I'm sure he was probably pretty elderly at the time. Yes. But this happened in Michigan again. Giles. I'm probably mispronouncing that. Yeah. Actually, no, because you would have done it phonetically. So uh, that no. <laughs> oh, never mind. Okay, fine, fine. No consistency. Oh man. Okay, <laughs> but uh, this guy Dan Shimalinski was an avid bow hunter, and he was out on his own. Yep, by himself. By himself. It was daylight. Was yes. it night? And he was kind of on his way out of the woods when he suddenly had the feeling like he was getting stalked by something massive. And he was in kind of like grassy areas, like not really in full woods, but definitely could conceal something big. And he said it was terrifying because it was intelligent. It moved only when he moved. As soon as he would stop, the thing would just... That'd be pretty freaky. Really freaky. The eerie silence, right? Exactly. It's much more like he, you're the prey. You're you're getting stalked by a predator, which is really freaky. He never saw this thing, but he bolted. He just got freaked out and he ran to his car as fast as he could, got in. I think the next day, yeah, it was the next day, he returned and he found these massive footprints. He made a mold and they all had these three claw marks. They were very deep. They were like impressed into the mud substantially. And he actually submitted those to the Michigan Department of Natural Resources, and they came up with no conclusion. Which is they just such didn't a... didn't cl- know. It's crazy. There was a woman on this show, and she, I can't remember her name right now, but she was a wolf expert, mm-hmm. a wolf behavioralist expert, and she was kind of saying how when you get any sort of tracks in mud, 
you're going to like deep tracks where it's like soft earth, you're going to get an exaggeration of the size just because of the impression itself. So it could have been a little bit smaller, but it still was really big. And she said she confirmed that it was of the canine family. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's true. And we've talked about that where it's like, uh, you know, a a footprint on a slope where it ends up sliding in mud or dirt and it looks longer Mm -hmm. than it is or yeah, deeper than it is. But that is also kind of just assuming that yeah, it is mud, but that it's deep mud. Like there can be mud on a very shallow surface with hard ground directly. No, but she said in order to get the back... The imprint of the back, like, paw, um, what's it called? Like, the pad? Yeah. The back pad, it would have had to have been really deep mud. Right, but I'm still saying, like, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's an exaggerated print. That's just a possibility, right? Like, if it's a mm, footprint in I deep mud... I think it's mud, fairly consistent. There's definitely leeway here, though, right? Like, she's she's making the assumption that this is an exaggerated print because it is in relatively deep mud. But if you have a massive creature that steps in deep mud, are you going to say, oh, this Bigfoot's foot is 15 no. feet long? No, it's a massive footprint I in know. mud. You can only exaggerate it so much, exactly. but I'm saying it could look bigger than it is. I'm just, the reason I'm just sort of pressing up against this a little bit is because obviously she was the staunch, like, this is not a supernatural creature. There is no... Like, she didn't believe any of this at all. It was like, there could be a larger timber wolf out there, and that's about it. But her her perspective wasn't very, in my opinion, it was very, it wasn't very satisfactory because of the way that she described, like, oh, you know, when a wolf jumps up and walks on its hind feet, but then she's trying to get them to do the example, like she was in the wolf den with all of them, and and they just jump up and jump down. Like, they don't walk. Like a dog does. They don't walk on their hind feet. No. Exactly. I'm sorry, lady. They just don't. No matter how <laughs> large they are either, people aren't going to misidentify that. If you have a no. massive gray wolf that goes up on its hind legs for two seconds, mm-hmm. you got to be pretty out of it. To Yeah, exactly. And even just the attack. Because like the, we had this other story from the Monster Quest where essentially there was a couple that was, oh, what were they doing? They were like light night lighting. Remember, they were like in their car yeah, and they had yeah. like the big, um, you know, like when you're trying to like get deer to like freeze in the light. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is that what it's called? I night can't, I, night I, spotting or something? Something like that. And then one person has a flashlight and then one person is has the gun kind of thing. Okay. I'm pretty sure that were, that's what they're doing. Or they were just driving down the highway with the light and they were in their car and they managed to see something that they were not expecting. Do you remember that part where it was like literally like, yeah, like a seven mm-hmm. foot plus massive dog-like creature with the big ears yeah. and it was it looked as if it was trying to close in on one of the deer right and then as they as they drove away they could hear just like the unearthly screams of a deer that had been like basically mangled or mm-hmm. caught mm-hmm. and that to me is not reminiscent of pure wolf behavior no. especially the fact that they did see it upright and it was almost like, oh, yeah. It sounds no, like something me, was picked up and moved, obviously, right? Because if it's a wolf or a cougar or things like that, it you it they don't they don't like subdue you around. and then bring you over there and then you hear screams. You're getting attacked and well, grabbed and pulled and like that deer is going to be making noises instantaneously. And you would think there'd be like wolf howls if it was like a pack of wolves closing in. You know what I mean? Because that's usually yeah. how they hunt is in packs, or they'll just uh, what's it called ambush, right? But it didn't even seem like it was either of those. But that's just another weird one here. That was another aspect, too. I don't think we mentioned the ears in Davis's sighting. He he did mention the, the, the ears. The long ears, yeah. Which was clearly different than, yeah, the Sasquatch sightings in northern mm-hmm. Michigan. And lends itself to this idea that this 
clearly is a dog-like creature that's standing yeah. upright. It doesn't make any sense. And there are po- official police investigations into this too. Right. And yeah. they covered a little bit of this on the show. Oh, man, yeah. Which was pretty interesting. So they get involved in a few creature cases. And this started in like the late 80s, like after the, uh, the Steve Cook release. They talked about this guy, Sheriff's Deputy Jeff Chamberlain. Had him on the show. He must have been pretty late in his close to retirement when they had him on the show. Yeah, probably. But he responded to a call about a possible like B and E. This was in sort of a rural area of the north, but it was just like a cabin. Yeah. But it, but it was a year round cabin. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't just like a summer home or mm-hmm. anything like that. You know, just before you get into it, I think he probably was retired because I don't think an active RCMP officer would be talking about this necessarily. Well, I, I mean, you just said RCMP. I mean, we don't know. Oh, it's sheriff. Michigan, right? Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I'm thinking Canadian yeah. there. I mean, who knows? I, I guess sorry. that's true. No, sorry. That's, sorry. 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 <laughs> sorry. Yeah, that's a good point. Who knows? He, Yeah, he could have been retired. Let's just go with that. But he did yeah. show up to this cabin and was pretty perplexed because he just found these massive deep scratch marks that were high on the outside wall of the cabin. What's really interesting is that there was no real signs of break and enter at the door. Like there was no window door. The classic like B&E evidence there was just these claw marks that were far too high for a normal human to make but the real kicker that i loved about his story was that he said that there was blood and slobber against the wall as if it was like or on the the mesh of the window right like the screen it had it had recently killed something and this residue was now left that is a pretty ominous find i kind of interpret it as the thing was maybe potentially trying to break into the place and was using its claws exactly and its mouth right sure but it's like had clearly just come from another uh little um oh because of the blood yeah the blood and yeah exactly well maybe the screen door cut its gums and that's Mm -hmm. why it was bleeding maybe maybe it was trying real hard. I don't know. That's But see, that action is much more animal-like rather than mm-hmm. like a hybrid creature that has a level of intelligence to stalk and get into a home if it really wanted to, right? Like yeah. break down the door kind of thing. Unless it was in some sort of like trauma and it was just like a free... See, like, like that's almost more like treading into like Wendigo, Skinwalker, mm-hmm. like cursed person territory where it's like actions don't really make sense. It's like werewolf. Like you don't even really yeah. know what the hell you're doing. Or what if it came from the inside and it was breaking out of the cabin and it was in the middle of a transformation and he was like, oh my God, he's got here. <laughs> well, and the he, evidence, he forgot the door existed. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there was anything on the inside walls. That's my question then. So all the evidence was on the outside. As if someone had clawed into it versus clawing out. Because you can you can right. tell pretty clearly which is the case, right? Yeah, of Broken course. glass, fragments, the way that the screen door would have been hanging in or outside yeah. of the door. Right. Or sorry, not the door, the window frame. The classic, classic telltale signs, yeah. right? Essentially, yeah, he had no idea what to make of this. All he did was basically find tracks like all these other accounts. Same with Dan Shimalinski. And again, the Department of Natural Resources gets involved, but the, the tracks are unidentifiable there's no known wolf species that they can be assigned to but all accounts are that they are massive canine prints Mm -hmm. strange so strange this one again parallels another story that we read out in part one of this series where we talked about the person that was coming home really late at night and they were entering their home and then they happened to see this creature from across the way in a wooded area and this thing essentially just walked right up to the window that is kind of a clo- like a parallel. Obviously, the mm-hmm. the first encounter wasn't violent or or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's almost like is that just like is that a metaphor for something? You know what I mean? Yeah, you could definitely take it that way. If you you could. It. You definitely could. I'm sure there's some. Um, oh man, yeah. There's rabbit holes we could go down there trying mm-hmm. to find that. But what like we the have- mirror looking in, right? Yeah, you're the outsider and you're not a part of what 
that whatever's going on on the no, inside of those walls. Totally. What makes all of this kind of hard to pinpoint with this Michigan dogman is that every sighting is kind of like different other than the description of the creature. I guess, again, similarly to, Sk- to Sasquatch, we have the instance of like these creatures. We started off part one being like relatively benign, watching, following. They seem to just be interested. There's an element of interdimensionality there where it's just something from another place watching us. Mm-hmm. But then there's also clearly some violent stuff going on as well, mm-hmm. which makes it sound much more like a a straight animalistic predator. So what it, which is it? Is it both? Is it a human high? Is it a, yeah. Like what level of intelligence does this thing have, I guess, right? Lumping things unnecessarily. Well, this episode of Monster Quest does that, right? They talk about skinwalkers, werewolves, straight human dog hybrids, (laughs) um, a few other things as well. Yeah. But to add on to this police investigation that they talked about, there were a few others that were kind of interesting that, in the years to follow, I pulled this one. Um, this was an article just from a Mysterious Universe, which was really interesting. 2015, police and wildlife officials in uh, Sanilac uh, County, hmm, mm. probably butchered that, Sanilac County, Michigan, there, there was basically a mass hysteria because of a, uh, a massacred horse. So they were warning residents to lock, the, lock up their pets, you know, keep livestock, uh, you know, gated up children to come in before nightfall because there was this large creature that killed a 1200 pound horse in the middle of the day, broad daylight. And it was an unidentified creature. So which is very, very strange. So of course, right away, a lot of the local residents, the theories that some sort of dog man was involved started running rampant. The only interesting thing though, is that this is a daytime attack. And Mm. the stories so far have been more that the dog, the dog man is a nocturnal creature. But still, the violence and the whole nature of it, people were definitely leaning that way. So, this, is this is this part of Mon- this isn't on the monster? No, quest. this wasn't in the monster quest. This was just something I added in because I was like, hmm, what other police investigations have there been? Hmm. And this one's relatively recent, so I just thought it was kind of interesting. There was uh, animal control officer Jim Matson. He investigated the report along with uh, local police. So uh, Sergeant Darren Darren Seaman of the uh, county sheriff's office. That is his name. It is pronounced Seaman's like the uh, uh, engineering firm. Exactly. Like my old <laughs> boss from the hotel room. That's right. That's right. But basically, yeah, he investigated this report. There was a horse that was near, like nearly bitten to death, I guess, like bleeding near to death, uh, bites all over its legs. Okay. The county sheriff issued this official release saying again keep your you know keep your children close bring your cats and dogs inside but downplayed the story basically saying you know this is most likely a cougar or a wolf and we're on it and there's the possibility that this was just a large coyote attack and that or a pack a pack Mm -hmm. which is there wasn't tracks to 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 add to that there was no real evidence suggesting that Hmm. but of course that's the easiest thing to lean to but could this could this have been a dogman attack? This is what people were leaning towards. And in the previous year, in 2014, there were two reports of dogman sightings. One of them was very close by in Michigan, so right mm-hmm. in the stomping grounds of the dogman. There was another one allegedly in East Texas, which is kind of strange. This is just the year previous to this attack, and then it's sort of like in the article they talk about this idea like, okay, well, are these related, and is the dogman on the move? Yeah. Is it a migrational creature? We've talked about it in Alaska, in other places, in Canada, in Michigan, in Wisconsin. Or are they just ubiquitous? Exactly. So kind of interesting. Lots of police involvement. There's there's dozens and dozens of reports that you guys can find online. And it's, um, 
it's a real phenomenon that continues to keep going on to the point where they ended up making a feature film about it. That's so funny. We actually came across some of those when we were looking up, we're trying to find like, you know, good images for Dogman. And I was like, what? There's actually a movie. I know. We got to watch it. We still haven't seen it, but this was late 2011. So this is before these sightings I just mentioned, the police investigation. Oh yeah. But uh, this guy named Rich Brower, he released this film. It was just straight called Dogman starring this guy named Larry Joe Campbell. And it, uh, it premiered in the state theater and uh, let's let's pronounce this properly here, Amber. Say it with me. Travers. Travers. City. City. Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where it premiered. And uh, it actually included a brief segment from the infamous Gable film that we mentioned in part one. And uh, with the permission of Micah Grusso, of course, and he ended up actually getting acknowledgement in the credits, which is kind of cool for him. That's cool. Pretty sweet. That is the perfect segue, though, here, because in part one, we mentioned Micah Grusso. We talked about the Gable film being a hoax. Let's jump right into this. Yeah. Because there was a lot going on. And I I felt kind of bad because I kind of convoluted some elements of this story. Originally, I kind of... I did mention the fact that Steve Cook's original story or backstory, whatever, was that this had been found at an estate sale. Yes. I was a little bit murky on whose estate it was. I think I might have even alluded to it. It was Mike Agrusa's estate or something, <laughs> or he found it. I don't even know. Well, actually, he doesn't know. Like, no. He, he doesn't know. But the know. thing is, that is entirely false. Of course. This was never found in an estate sale. Yeah. This was manufactured by Steve Agrusa right. in the 2000s, 2007, be specific. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that the... And, we, I mean, obviously we alluded to that. We talked about it be, being a known hoax, but we were, again, like talking about it in the context of the moment it was released. Yeah. And and, and us literally going into it blind as if, because we didn't have any explanation for Micah Grusa at this point. Not the actual explanation on video anyway, right? Like we had yeah. read some stuff and we had, and that's why, of course, you mentioned his name as being yeah. involved in the film, mm-hmm. but we... We we got the interview, which was which was kind of awesome. But the first thing I think we want to do to say before we kick kick this off here, and this is going to be an unedited episode, is fuck you, Steve Cook. Yeah, you, you know, like I that that's all I really have to say about that guy. Like, Man, basically, that guy. like I I understand the idea of doing something for fun. The song mm-hmm. fun having the video from Agrusa and putting it up for a while and having this sort of legend and perpetrating this legend, I I get that to an extent, but he definitely took it too far. Yeah. Re- like, and... You could see it on his face. He when, knew when, it. When that, uh, what's her name, was calling him out on it. Oh my gosh, that paranormal uh, cryptozoologist off there. Yeah, her name's yeah. a little bit further, but yeah, the, he was like... Yeah. Backpedaling, seriously. He looked like a kid in the principal's office getting scolded. <laughs> Yeah. Kind of, right? Actually. And the problem I have with this, and like I kind of wanted to get into that in part one, but like the real problem I have with it is like hoaxed videos to me are fine a lot of the time because they're so obvious, right? Yeah. The Gable film did a really good job of being a hoaxed film, but Steve Cook is the is the is the guy who's a dickhead here. Because for people who are okay, on there's there's two sides of this. There's the one side where it's like people who have legitimately had encounters and sightings that are traumatic. And you could you could chalk that up to even Adam Dave, uh, Davis and his wife mm-hmm. and similar encounters like that. Their credibility is diminished because yeah. of you, and they suffer with that trauma and they're ridiculed for exactly. it. Exactly. The same goes for UFO accounts and abductees. The same goes for many things. And you know, my, uh, Agrusa makes the comment about he didn't have any malicious intent, and mm-hmm. that's fine. It's true because nobody's technically being like maimed or hurt literally by any Mm -hmm. of this but it's the boy who cried wolf situation because 
people who do have legitimate problems, encounters, issues, attacks, and traumas, people don't people don't take them seriously. Exactly. It's diminished. And I wonder what Vic would have to say from Dogman Encounters. Uh, yeah, I, I wonder. And like, He'd probably be, just be scathing. But. Yeah. And I, I made the... I'm not going to dive into like a crazy analogy comparison here, but like we were sitting in bed and we made the, the comparison to on a much lesser scale, it's almost like kind of like a rape case or something, right? Or something like serious like that because people do... like abdu- or, or someone ab- is victimized in any way, abductions right? Abductions is the perfect it's... comparison because that those... Essentially, it is that it, it's you're you're, you're taking, being violated you're, you're, in a certain you're, yeah exactly your body is yeah exactly like you yeah and then when people come out with hoaxed UFO videos or 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 fake abduction accounts that's not okay it's almost akin not to slander but just it it is just yeah exactly diminishing the actual value and, and the 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 truth behind well not the truth necessarily but the truth as people perceive it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so but that's story. that's all we really have to say on that front in regards to Steve, to Steve Cook mm-hmm. and, and and sort of the years that have gone on there. But all that aside, the film was considered an integral aspect of sort of the evolution of dogma, right? And that's what we were talking about in part one in the minds of the American consciousness and across the globe because this was a you know internet phenomena here. Cook originally claimed the backstory, like we said, elderly elderly lady found in an estate sale. Uh, we were a little bit muddied on that, but mm-hmm. elder, elderly lady was his story that sent it to him a state sale. This was in the seventies, uh, somewhere on the Michigan peninsula, right. And sent to cook after much debate about the authenticity of the film, uh, and increasing scrutiny, obviously cook finally comes forward mm-hmm. about the story. He admits Mike Agrusa approached him in the two thousands. He knew right off the bat, obviously that the video was fabricated and he jumped on board right away. So, what well, not th- right away. He, there was a lag period. Like a Grusa said, he was like, yeah, so after not I much, kind of, though. I failed to really promote the video on my end. So I approached Steve and after many conversations where I essentially convinced Steve that I had no malicious intent, that's when Steve was like, all right. Did he say many conversations? Yeah, okay. yeah he did. He, he said there was a few conversations they had because Steve, he, this he Grusa guy came out of the woodwork. Yeah. He didn't know who he was. No, he didn't. Yeah. So you would have to think you have to do some, some of your own due diligence if you are a radio personality or any sort of public figure to any degree well he doesn't sound like the type that really cares about that he, he just he just wanted a website to get a lot of hits true that's all and he that's really what cared he got about, right? and that's what he got and he got way way over his head a little in bit in my opinion yeah and it's one He's of those so- <clears throat> yeah it's it's bothersome it, it I, yeah 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 i hated how we phrased it where he was like um, cause what's her name? I can't remember. I think it's Rita. I have it a little bit further down below here. Cause she actually ended up posting a part three that we're going to get to, but she was basically grilling him. And he just said, he's like, well, you know, it just, it isn't what it appears to be. And then that was basically the start of his confession. And I was like, it's just an innocent film. It's like, really though? Really? Okay. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. He, so yeah, so to, to get into the detail of the actual film itself, obviously Agrusa, we're watching this and it's the classic 70s style. We're seeing the snowmobiles and all, all the images that make it look fitting of the era. And he used a eight millimeter video camera, which is what we knew from, from the analysis of the video. And they're trying to pick it apart and it's very much like the, uh, Patty Gim. Very much so. It, it reminds me of the setting of basically every single place they go to in American Pickers. Yeah, there's just a bunch actually, of stuff everywhere. Totally, you know, they, it could have been literally any any place on every episode of American Pickers, basically, yeah. <laughs> which is pretty hilarious. 
he said he studied home videos from the era to kind of like, so he was very thorough in his explanation of this. Mm -hmm. Even though I made the comment to you, deep-seated tinfoil hat conspiracy theory. There's a moment in the video where it pans over to Agrusa driving the truck, and he has a much thicker goatee than he does in the Monster Quest interview episode, and it almost looks like it's like a brother or a cousin that isn't him, but like looks a lot like him. He lost some weight. He lost some weight, I think, and that was the main thing, because it doesn't look like Micah Gerson. I was like, you, oh, is this some sort of conspiracy? This is a dog man. You, yeah, and you, <laughs> you see know, it too when, like, when it pans to him chopping the wood, right? He definitely yeah. has a little bit of a thicker build. Right. And so you were like, how the hell was he that agile and got into that ghillie suit Which and was jumping around like a Cirque du Soleil? Like, you know? <laughs> Seriously. Like, actually. Pretty impressive stuff. But he, yeah, he, so yeah, ghillie suit, um, which is essentially just like a camo looks like military a of, fatigue yeah. type thing. It looks like um, a bunch of moss all over you. Yeah, of. exactly. And he charges at the camera. The Obviously, the grainy footage is what makes it what it is. Because if you were filming mm-hmm. this on a regular digital camera or something like that, it would be very very obviously a... And there were parts in the Monster Quest where they he was doing the explanation and you could see it. And it does look a lot faker when it's with right. an actual modern of course. video recorder. But I mean, I guess the dead giveaway... Uh, before even the release from Cook and Agrusa that it was a hoaxed film was the uh, the primate stance, which we had the wolf expert yeah. was like, this looks like a gorilla. And like, that's mm-hmm. what you and I were saying. It was like, when you first watch it, that's what it looks like. Yeah. Which is kind of... With ears or something. It's not a Sasquatch video. It's a Dogman video. So that yeah. doesn't match up anatomically. No. So. It was so funny ha- having Agrusa make the comment. He was like, you know, we shot a bunch of these scenes and we did a bunch of stuff and like... I wasn't really sure how it was going to turn out, but when I got that footage back, I was amazed at how realistic it was and how animalistic he appeared in the film. And it's kind of, it's funny how even the creator, he's like, wow, like this is better than I thought it was going to be more convincing. I think, and you know what's funny? I think it's the context of the song and the cook story before he released this, released this video that like makes it more okay. Because of because of Steve Cook already having like the joke song, the April Fool's Day thing, and that in association with this. If this was just a video without any of that precursor, without that story from Cook before that, like the joke, hmm. I think this is a little more malicious in the sense that like well, it's it, just it, it's, it's a just, hoax. It's I know, a hoax. I know. It's not. I'm not going to say it's that's not the right word. That's that. not the right word. But it's like if but if if we found out today that the Patterson Gimlin film is definitively fake. Hundred percent. That would seriously impact decades of research mm-hmm. and like a lot of things. So, so you're it's saying like, the as, fact that it has been confirmed as a hoax means that it is less malicious. <laughs> is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. No. I'm, no. I'm saying that. Uh, yeah. Well, it doesn't. Regardless of now. Now that now that it's confirmed as a hoax, it's sort of a moot point, I guess. And but, it just gets into the entertainment zone now. Exactly. And we're getting into part two now. Sure. There was a part two, and there was also. A part three. Something else. Anyway, <laughs> let's get to part two, though. This was filmed in spring of 2008. And in the documentary, Steve Cook initially claimed that he had no knowledge of a film, too. So for him coming out, coming forward now saying it's a hoax, maybe that was actually an element of his reasoning behind coming out. Because he's like, well, shit, this already exists and it's out there. It, it's all falling apart for him. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So in this film... This comes off a lot faker to me. Of course. You have the 
the same uh, amateur filmographer or whatever with the same eight millimeter camera. He is seemingly helping the police with their investigation, documenting the scene of the crime. We're going back to the initial setting of the first film. So what this depicts is the aftermath of the film one. And we see a policeman. He's shown holding signs as if he's documenting a crime scene, which looks very sloppy. The way that he's holding the pieces of paper just looks like a... Anyways. He reminds me of... um one of the cops from Hot Fuzz. Yeah. Yeah. Very just not <laughs> professional. professional. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jinx. Anyways. So yeah, the camera then tracks over to a spot where there's seemingly a body. It's covered up with like, you know, a tarp and they reveal the body. It has the upper half of a man's torso. There's um, guts depicted spilling out onto the grass. The man is clearly dead. You see again, um, I think it pans over to another piece of evidence, big air quotes with like, I think it's, was it the camera? I think it was the camera. I think so. Yeah. So now it's like, wait a second. So that's the camera. So who's filming? (laughs) You've got multiple eight millimeters. Anyways. Well, yeah. Yeah. So that was, it's basically, that's, that's all it is, is you see the the crime scene and it's kind of just, again, very wishy-washy, very like low quality film. How different than the first one. But this is fun, right? Because it's like, how the hell, there was so much debate uh, over how Agrusa managed to pull this one off. Mm-hmm. Some people thought it was actually animal guts. They thought that he went to that level. And for him, he was like, no, 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 that's way too much for me. Like, I just used spray foam insulation and painted it, <laughs> attached it to a nice little back piece. Looked good. And then you, he, he just dug a hole in the ground, plopped himself in the hole, mm-hmm. laid out his upper half. They covered him up, and that was that. It was yeah. very convincing. Yeah. And obviously having the low-quality film adds to that authenticity factor or Definitely. feel. But it was uh, – he just – the comments that Agrusa makes – it's just so funny because he just seems like a guy. He doesn't seem like someone that has a very high intelligence level. He just seems like a guy that's kind of like a. He does though. He reminds you of Shaggy from Scooby Doo. A little bit. Like but he like, is very much just like kind of like a. I don't even know. I, I, just, I, I think he wants to have fun. He wants to like you know kind of play around with people's heads. But he's and, clearly like and yeah. He's, he you, seems like a good guy. Yeah. I'd have a beer with him. And well, he, he seems like a super fun dude. Yeah. I I don't know if I'd say he doesn't seem super bright. I guess like well, he no, like he, not like he doesn't seem like he has intent beyond just wanting to have a good time. That's yeah. Maybe that's, that's what you're what trying I'm, to say. Yeah. Like he yeah he, he there's just no seems other. Like, he looks like one say, of the like, characters from Fubar. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. So what do those those guys are not very intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they want to have a good time. Deaner. <laughs> just keep giving her. Just keep on giving her. That's yeah. why he came up with a part three. <laughs> <laughs> the part three. So this is where we're getting into even more of the ridiculousness. And this, we found a link to this YouTube video from Linda, Linda Godfrey. That was the name I was trying to think of earlier. She is a cryptozoologist author and she was featured prominently in the Monster Quest episode. She was one that grilled a Steve Cook on the video. Mm-hmm. And she, I love her. Like, she's cool. I want to follow her on... Um, Facebook actually. Yeah. And so she posted the link to this video and she was like, well, here you go, guys. Clearly a hoax. Like, you know, clearly these are just a bunch of guys just out to have some fun. And that's all it was. And she was slammed for it. Like I saw some of the comments and people were like, oh, this is very disappointing. Like this discredits all of your work and la la la. Like I don't even know why you'd entertain this and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, um, excuse me. No, no, no. We're trying to get to the bottom of what this really was. And this very clearly 
um, denotes a, a comedic sort of standpoint of for the course, whole thing. Of course. That was a really weird way of saying that. <laughs> no, no, I know. It's fine. Sometimes sentences just come out. Well, anyways, so this film. <laughs> what goes in the hole comes out the hole. <laughs> it was, you teed it, you teed it, it, you teed it up. So we're getting another scene. We're going back to a very similar situation as the first two films. We're um, privy to a group of hunters that are gathering in the daylight. They're going on their expedition. They've got their shotguns. They've got whatever. And they are going to be the next victims, supposedly, of the dope man. Right. But things take a very comical turn. At first, it's very violent. Like you see like a younger hunter and his like father maybe, and they're kind of just slowly trekking into the woods. They kind of split into like a Y formation. So mm-hmm. one goes one way, one goes the other way. Yeah. And then that's when the dog man attacks and it's vicious. Like he like mauls the guy essentially. <laughs> yeah. And it looks very, it looks pretty real at first until you get another shot of him running after the second guy. Yeah. And it's very clearly a ghillie suit. Like it's just like, yeah. ooh, like that's not a good shot. But then it gets even more ridiculous. So we get, basically, they stop what they're doing. There's a donkey or a horse that kind of comes out of nowhere. He's actually a guy in a suit. It's revealed very obviously that this is what it is. The guy in the ghillie suit comes back. They have this exchange of signs, whether it's duck season or rabbit season. Yeah, and they're the, just kind of making fun of each other. classic Looney Tunes back exactly. and forth. Exactly. Yeah. Totally classic Looney Tunes. And then they introduce... Godzilla! Mm-hmm. Why not? <laughs> so we get Godzilla in there, and then the film essentially ends with them chasing each other around the forest with that classic. Yeah. I love that comedic music. So it's funny. It's just a joke movie. It really is. And if could you just imagine if all three of those were released in succession? There was no lag. There was no. Yeah, it'd be a different story. It would have been. Right? It would have been a way different turnout. The progression from part one to three is uh, quite profound dramatic yeah. <laughs> for sure yeah so yeah those were those were the uh they didn't actually and they didn't talk about this um part three in in oh, uh, that's Monster true. Quest at all that was just we wanted to add that in there because it's kind of funny and interesting they did mm. talk about the part two mm-hmm. you know we're, we're coming down to the end of this episode here this bonus episode covering the monster quest do you i mean where are you at in terms of uh I guess I want to go back on me using that word malicious with the movie. Like, I don't feel Micah Grusa is that or was that or anything like that. Steve Cook was more so. More he, so, he, but at the same time, I feel like he just didn't realize the ramifications. He was just kind of like, yeah, exactly that. I want to have a website with a bunch of hits and get this, get people talking. And he was already in the community, right? Because people no, were reaching out to him. I, I totally, I which totally to me is it. a total betrayal of their trust. That There's that side of it. There's just like, it just depends on who you ask and what you think is like more serious or not, right? Like if, if he was to, if he was to come up with a, uh, if he had a video or a story of something a little bit more like attached to like actual disappearances or deaths or something like that, like that would be more serious, you know what I mean? But because it's like dog man, or even like if it was a Sasquatch or if it was, you know, whatever, if it's the Flatwoods monster or something that is like so fantastical to most people, as opposed to like actually yeah some something somebody actually was like disappeared they came back and said they were abducted and they had a traumatic experience from it in all that being said i still feel so, like he's just kind of a he was a, he was a self-interested profiteering kind yeah. of a dick mm-hmm. well i wonder how much money he actually made off it probably not a ton just some advertising just fame maybe. i guess and whatever yeah it just, I don't know, this is the cryptozoologist in me and, and, and researcher, I guess, like wanting to always come, come down to the truth. And hoax videos are super fun. And perpetrating 
lies, I guess, because they are, are is fun, can be fun. Mm-hmm. We live in an era of such over-information and misinformation. Yeah. It just makes it so freaking hard, man. Well, that's just it. And that's kind of what my question is. Like, how do these videos affect the overall perception of the dog, man? I think they negatively affect the they, real legitimate accounts and yeah. uh, and attacks. They ridicule it. They do. To a certain degree. You know, it's... But in, but then I guess the argument would be, on the other hand, it, it, it did increase awareness and popular consciousness. So the people that, like we said in part one, even though it's come out as a hoax, they are maybe more okay talking about it initially, even if the flip side, like we've been saying this whole time, is like you're more likely to be ridiculed because there's this association with something that's obviously mm-hmm. fake. It just adds to the dissemination of misinformation and... and yeah, this muddying of the waters. And that's the the ongoing issue, right? Of all this, like, just, like, fake news, faked evidence, fake videos. Like, what can you really believe anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Can you only believe your own eyes? And the massive problem, the main problem with all of this is, there's still sightings, encounters, and attacks going on yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. Way past so 2007, there? 2008, and these videos being released. Yeah. So... Regardless of any of this, none of this could have even happened. All these instances would still be occurring. There'd still be people petrified on their porch staring at something that they don't understand and we can't explain it. And I think this just, it does kick the rock a little further down the road, kick the can a little further down the road in terms of actually figuring out what this is because we're just distracted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's kind of, that's where I'm at with all this. Even though it's fun, even though here we are sitting down talking about it, mm-hmm. it's really got us, got our, got us buzzing. Yeah. But yeah, it, it it makes you think like how widespread are the consequences, and mm-hmm. and I think Steve Cook just didn't even really factor that into his yeah. decision. Ultimately, super fun episode of Monster Quest. Yeah, like how did they end up tying it off again? Like, they tied they it just... off by basically they had the uh, the team, the research team in the woods. They were doing the calls. They had the classic infrared, right? You know, yeah. like it reminded me of Bob's Burgers, where they were like out there and they're getting <laughs> vocalization recordings, right? And um, they also had a vocalization box where they like put it out and then they had mics set up all over and they were trying to provoke a response. And they did get a few where they were like, that sounds deeper than a wolf. Mm -hmm. And then there would be an additional response from a pack of coyotes in the distance that were like freaking out from this much lower vocalization. Lower, almost like in the infra... um, Infra uh, sound. Infra sound zone, yeah. And they did talk about infrasound and how potentially large mammals communicate with infrasound like and they, big cats and yeah. stuff like that and they intimidate their prey using it too right it's the same idea when you talk about the dialov pass incident very much and so. people have talked about infrasound as like a um it disoriented the campers yes. and and ultimately led to their demise potentially potentially mm-hmm. so yeah they did they did get a response they did record some vocalizations that they weren't able to pinpoint but of course it's like are they really strange there's a lot of strange sounds out there at nighttime Sounds can be echoed and amplified and changed and different things like that. So mm-hmm. obviously, again, like like every single Monster Quest episode, there's no there's nothing conclusive. It just yeah. keeps the question open, and the question of whether or not there's a dogman in Michigan, in Wisconsin, which is a place we're heading pretty soon, to me is isn't question. People are seeing mm-hmm. something real out there, yeah. and the whole context of the song and the Gable film, yeah. You guys take that as you will, and we really want to hear what you have to say about hoaxed videos, about the whole idea of like this particular case and like where it stands today. 
But and we're also heading into Wisconsin. Yeah, totally. We're going to go to Wisconsin. We've got the a bunch. Bray. We've got at least another part, maybe two parts coming. Oh, I think so. And uh, we are going to have, um, I might as well just say it and do a little teaser. We're, we're really lucky. We're going to have uh, Adam Benedict from the Pine Barrens Institute, yeah. a native uh, Wisconsinite. Uh, coming on to uh, to talk about the Beast of Bray. And we have an authentic piece of Bray Road here on our podcast table that he sent to us. Yeah. So it's very fitting that we're covering this. We've got so this. many questions to ask him. Tons. So yeah, that brings us to the end of this uh, bonus part one and a half of the Dogman. The Dogman film episode, if you will. Mm-hmm. So let us know what you guys think. Send us an email into the portal mailbox at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. Um, we really appreciate it. Just take yeah. two seconds. If you're on Apple Podcasts or whatever, click five stars, leave us a review, subscribe and tell your friends about the show. Make sure to check out our network, straightupstrange.com. We are making a transition, like we said last week, and there's going to be some really cool stuff coming. Oh my goodness. Yeah, we're actually waiting for our first round of like sample mock-ups to come in the mail, and we're going to just review them once they get here. We've also got some really cool sassy squatch. Sassy squatch? Oh yeah. Is that what we're calling them? Sassy squatch. Sassy squatch, be strange stickers. Thanks to Doodle Kev. We got those made up, and so those are going to be part of the launch as well. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Keep it strange, Beagle. Yeah. Mm. Super excited. All right, guys. Well, uh, yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Into the Portal. Your gateway to the bizarre. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.